That song reminds me that uh, not only all creatures will praise his name, if we don't, even the rocks will cry out. Um, That's how magnificent and glorious our God is, that even the rocks would praise his name. Well, as uh, you turn back to 2 Thessalonians, we're concluding our series, and some of you are probably pretty happy about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, we started just kind of trying to answer some of the questions about what's going on with the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, and, and really it's more, way more nuanced than, than just looking at the, the current recent political structure. Really, this is a, it's a biblical issue. And the, the two reasons why the media or the world will, will, will never get this right or never understand this issue is, one is they don't have a biblical perspective. You know, we, we went back and, and looked at the, the, the history biblically, you know, uh, over a 3,000 year history between Israel and uh, the people that uh, are in that area of Palestine, you know. And the second reason is they don't understand the demonic di- dimension that, that, that's behind this. There, there is a, a demonic force. And we don't talk about that a lot. We, you know, we, for whatever reason, it's our, you know, kind of conservative, um, even though we're not Baptist, we, we still have kind of that conservative Baptist fundamental hangover that, you know, you're either charismatic and you talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, or you don't ever talk about the Holy Spirit, or you don't ever talk about Satan and demons and the demonic, or you do. And, and that's just wrong. Um, Satan demons are are real there it's it's throughout scripture and we need to understand that our battle is not just against flesh and blood um and so this issue is is a great example of that i mean just just think about and and, and this isn't from a political perspective but you know on october 7th 200 young adults were 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 killed by paragliders i, I mean think about the 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 mindset that that people would sit around the campfire to think about how you could kill people at a music festival by using paragliders. Through that day, literally unspeakable atrocities, things that we will not speak about from from the pulpit um, occurred. I mean, decapitation with garden hose, um, desecration of dead bodies, Physical abductions. I mean, these are the things that we can say out loud. Uh, they, they have the video. They, they have the coverage. This isn't propaganda. I mean, they literally have GoPros of the video of what took place. Women, children, uh, elderly were killed. If, if you're not quite sure about the truth of, of all the information, I mean, you, you understand that there's hostages why are there hostages and who are the hostages? They're women and children and older people. I mean, just consider that for a second. Um, not only that, but we've outlined that there's been over 20 years of, of almost daily but monthly missile attacks on Israel. That's why they have the Iron Dome, right? They don't have an Iron Dome because nothing's happening. 
it, it, it's happening. Well, when missiles go off, people get hurt. Uh, we've seen the human shields that are used that, that they, they will use women and children as, as, as shields to protect their, uh, their, you know, their hideouts to protect their, where, where they store weapons, schools, hospitals. Um, they won't let their people leave the area. Uh, it's it's horrible. And, and then the response to that, quite frankly, the response is, and, and look, I'm somewhat sympathetic. You know, if you were to to take one of my children and, you know, with, with, with a garden hoe, I would probably have a times 10, times 20 mentality as well. But with that being said, you're talking about thousands of more women and children and, 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 and terrorists and combatants, all that to say, Satan's having a heyday. He, 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 he's not on one side or the other. He's on, on team death. He's on team chaos, team, you know, team confusion. Um, and, and that's again, is when you're sitting there and you're trying to take a side, right? Uh, which side? Uh, obviously we, have gone through the history of the chaos, again, biblically starting with the Abrahamic covenant that, that God has ordained Israel, this land, the land, the seed of Jesus Christ, the blessing, the, the ripple effect of, of more Israelites and then even the inclusion of the Gentiles in, uh, in the covenant of promise. We've seen the history between Ishmael, the history of Esau and, and how they would go on from the, the family of Israel to become, in essence, the family tribe of the Arab nations uh, and also, uh, we would say, the Palestinians and then even more ripple effect down the road, the Muslims. And so despite Israel's clear land rights, remember we talked about that, how, do how does anybody get land? Either God gives you the land or you, you know, explore and you're the first one on that, that island or you purchase and buy the land or there's treaties and you get treaties one of two ways either by war um, or just by making peace but that's how everybody on the face of the earth gets land and so we've seen that uh, by all rights that Israel has received their land uh, for lack of a better term fair and square on numerous different levels not only the the, uh, you know, the Britons giving them the land of Palestine, but then the United Nations after World War I codifying that and, and, and making them a state in 1948. But then really the, the reaffirmation of that through wars, through the, the Middle East attacking Israel in 1948, and 1967, and 1973. But really, if you, if you were to categorize all the different wars, there's been about 16 wars in the Middle East with Israel since 1948, Israel having won them all. Uh, talk about a God-ordained thing. And so this is the cycle. There's a little bit of peace and then there's war. There's a little bit of peace and then there's war. There's a little bit of peace and then there's war. And isn't that exactly what we've seen through the pages of Scripture with Israel? That's been the history. All that to say there's a collision course for the end. And that's our real question when we ask about what is going on in the Middle East today, what's going on with Israel and Palestine, uh, the Palestinians. As, as Christians, as, as people, we're like, well, 
How does this affect me? Where's this going? What's the end? And so that's really been the broader base of our study. Um, and so as we transition from the study and, and looking at Israel and the Palestinians, we're also in the, in the Christmas season, right? And as I'm, usually I'm studying for what's happening now and then also studying ahead. And so as I'm studying the two different things, one of the things that popped, popped out to me was, so Christmas represents the birth of Christ, right? You know, almighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. Uh, that's one of Jesus's titles. It's one of his names. He's the, he's the prince of peace. And when you think about it and you think of Israel, you think of the Palestinians, you think of the world, the world is aching for peace. The world so desperately wants peace. They want a ruler of peace, a ruler who will bring peace. That's a great thing. The only problem is scripture has been clear to us. God has been clear in letting us, helping us to understand that while that will come, ultimately with Jesus coming back, taking his throne, first, something else has to happen. And what's that? Fake peace, a fake prince, a fake ruler of peace. And so in our study, we've been looking at Matthew 24. We're looking at the, the birth pangs, looking at the abomination of desolation, then looking at tribulation that's coming, right? Well, Jesus in Matthew 24 also warns about this abomination of desolation. We see this today in, in five ways. Today, we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians. We're going to see how Jesus warns us of five fake signs of peace. Because remember, the, the question was, okay, we get stirred up when we see wars in Israel. And, and what I was trying to express to you is, you should actually be, your antenna should get more flared up when you see peace. That, that's the real, the, the real scare, right? So Jesus warns in five ways. First, through a covenant of peace. Second, through the man of lawlessness. Third, through the apostasy. Fourth, through a false exaltation. And then fifth, through a seating on the throne. So 2 Thessalonians, beginning at verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Same thing we're hoping for, right? That you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed by either a spirit or a message or a letter as it as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawless is revealed the son of destruction. So, so what's the first thing that, that, that we need to keep on, on, on watch for? It's, it's this thing called the, the apostasy, right? And, and there's elements of the apostrophe, of the apostasy. Um, but here's the thing. First, 
keep your composure as believers. Um, these things, right? The birth pangs, the wars, the rumors of wars, the, the famines, the earthquake. They, these things should not freak us out. They, they, they should not rattle our cage. Why? Be, because we know they're going to happen. We should expect them to happen. And, and in a sense, we should want them to happen. And so we shouldn't be uh, our, our, our composure, right? Shaken, our, our spiritual composure, our Christian composure. Uh, it shouldn't shock us when sinners sin in the streets, right? When, when sinful politicians are corrupt and crooked and we act shocked, like this is the first time in the history that, that politicians are shameful. Instead, we're, we're reminded again, let no one deceive you. Over and over and over again, we're reminded throughout Scripture, throughout end times passages, that false teaching and deception is, is a key hallmark to all of this. Let no one deceive you, whether, whether it comes by a spirit, and this is why we have to be cautious when people say, the Lord spoke to me. Um, well, maybe so, but we have to check that with Scripture, right? Um, or a message or a letter to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, there's people today that say the day of the Lord has already come and that we're already in the millennial kingdom. And so this speaks directly to, to, to that error. Now, with that being said, just as a little pin, we're going to talk about false teaching. We're going to false talk about deception. What we do not mean by that is different views of end times. There are different views of end times, and we've talked about this. There's different views about when the rapture is going to occur. When we say deception and deceptive teaching, we're, we're, we're not really talking about that. What we're really talking about is satanic deception, a, a, a deceptive teaching that's different from the gospel, right? Different from Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ being Emmanuel, God with us, you know, third person of the triune Godhead. That's the, 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 the teaching of Christ that we're really talking about, okay? And, and talking about who God is, because we'll see that that's really what's at, at issue here, is that somebody else is going to proclaim themselves as God. Okay, so I, I don't want you guys confused, though, that just because you have a different rapture view, that well, they're deceptive, and then well, but I'm not. I'm I'm the only one that's right, even though Jesus says nobody knows the time or day. But except for, oh, I'm not gonna say me. Those guys, right? And the guys who write all the books on it. So <clears throat> that being said, what what is apostasy? What what is that? It's kind of a word that we hear in Christian Christian churches, and we kind of know, but we don't really know. And literally, it is the deflection or the the revolt it's a departure from doctrine so it's a deflection and a revolt against god himself it's it's the ultimate form of spiritual adultery okay that that's what this apostasy is it's going to be a turning away from god to turning to somebody else proclaiming themselves to be god and so what we need to do is take a look at this uh, abomination of desolation issue because that's really what is being addressed here. And so turn with me to Daniel. We'll do a little 
a, a quick jet tour tour hopefully not too fast but can't go too slow either um, so starting at Daniel 8:24, passage says and his power will be mighty but not by his own power and he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will he will destroy mighty men and the holy people and through his shrewdness he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence and he will magnify himself in his heart and he will destroy many while they are at ease he will even oppose the prince of princes but he will be broken without human agency and so when we talk about this apostasy and we talk about like who this person of lawlessness is, the man, this is who he is. These are the markings. It's, it's through shrewdness. It's through deceit. Uh, he opposes the Prince of Peace. He, he opposes Jesus Christ, right? Well, in Daniel 9.25, we see, or starting at 9.24, we see a picture into the Daniel in the 70 weeks. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to, of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. See, this is why we want these things to happen. We, we want these things to happen to make an end to sin, to, to finish the transgression, to make final atonement for, for iniquities. Verse 25, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with the plaza and the moat, even in the times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the holy people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of the abominations will come one who, will, who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that has decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So we've, for years, have been studying Daniel and the 70 weeks. And then we know at the end of the 70 weeks that this is what's going to take place, that there's going to be this abomination of desolation. And, and, and what does that look like? Again, it, it's, it, it's going to be this time where there's going to be a firm covenant and there's going to be a stop to sacrifices. And, and then these desolations are going to occur. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep moving forward. Daniel... Um, 11. We'll go to Daniel 11:32. <clears throat> and by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. 
And those who have insight among the people will give understanding to many, yet they will fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by plunder for many days. Now when they fall, they will be granted a little help and many will join them in hypocrisy. And some of those will have insight will fall in order to refine, purge and make them pure until the end time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. And so we, we, we again, we see here that, okay, th th this person is going to have smooth words. Be careful of the one with, with smooth words. And, and, and what's going to happen is the, the, the people will, will, will be displaying some strength about knowing God and have some insight, but they're going to fall by the sword. They're going to fall by the, split, by the flame. They're going to be held in captivity and plunder. There's, there's going to be an opposition. There's going to be the, uh, a, a, a battle between the, the, the man of lawlessness and the believers. Okay. Well, ultimately what's going to happen, verse 36 in Daniel 11, then the king will do as he pleases and he will exalt and magnify himself above every God and will speak monstrous things about the God of gods. So again, there, there are no real gods, little g, um, even though people proclaim other gods. And so there is a God of all gods. That's Yahweh. That, that's the Lord God Almighty himself. And so this one is going to magnify himself above every God and will speak monstrous things about the God of gods. That's Yahweh himself. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished for that which is decreed will be done. And he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women, nor will he show regard for any other God, for he will magnify himself above all. That's the apostrophe. That's the abomination of desolation. That is the, the, the climax of what is going to take place, that this person is going to proclaim themselves as God, not just against our God, because this is what we see today. We see, well, here's our God, and then here's like, all the other gods and we have like this mentality that what well, well, all the other gods or all the other major religions are going to kind of team up against us and it's like you're missing the picture here it's all the other gods our god and then him you guys understand that he is against everybody and will proclaim himself as god of everyone that's where this is going and only the righteous will have insight and understanding at what's happening. That's why the media, that's why the world doesn't understand what's going on because they don't have spiritual insight. Well, let's go back to 2 Thessalonians. And let's look at the first fake sign that Jesus gives the warning. The first fake sign is through this, this covenant of peace. Uh, let no one in any way, verse 3, deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple, displaying himself as being God. So this is what's going to take place first. What's first going to happen is there's going to be this 
this covenant of of peace. There's there's going to be a a a peace treaty that comes with this person. The apostasy, and where do we get the peace? Because we take this apostasy and, and the man of lawlessness, and we go back to Daniel, which we just did, to actually get the the deeper understanding. Then we realize. Oh, there's a covenant of peace attached. That's why we went from 2 Thessalonians to Daniel. So when we put those together, we understand, okay, there's going to be this, this firm covenant, a covenant that, that brings peace. Well, this also brings about our first implication, which is what? Well, in order for there to be a peace covenant, there has to be, well, not peace, unsettlement. Remember the Wars, the rumors of wars, right? And so the first implication is, all right, things aren't good. Nation against nation, political versus political views, religious views against religious views. And then comes this, this person who brings about peace. Well, what is peace? The, the second implication is that peace is a, is a contract or, or, or a deal, right? The, they're pledges and treaties. But keep in mind, this, this peace that comes with the man of lawlessness comes as a lie. The, the whole thing is, is deceptive. Well, think about what we've seen, again, since 1948 in the Middle East. Do you know how many peace treaties there's been between Israel and its surrounding nations? Over 20 peace treaties have happened, and they get broken Every single time. Do you know what happened before October 7th? There was peace until October 7th. And then, we, you know, recently we had, right, the, the okay, we're going to call a ceasefire, right? And, and why is there a ceasefire? Because you don't want to see death. And, and so, okay, the ceasefire then hopefully leads to what? A contract of peace. And then what's going to happen? Well, it's going to get broken again, either by a missile, a terrorist, or an attack, right? And this is the cycle that we keep seeing. Well, this person who brings about this fake peace or this fake contract, it's, it's the same thing. And, and again, it reminds me of, you know, that hippie peace, right? Love and peace, love and peace. They don't understand what peace actually means. It's just a word. We're seeing people marching in the streets right now and protesting for, for peace. What does that mean? Well, it means that they stop killing each other today. And again, okay, great. We had that on October 6th. People weren't shooting at each other. The peace is never going to end because they, they, they don't set peace up under the, the right circumstances. So they'll give up everything. They'll give everything up for peace to do or follow anything. See the pattern? This is the pattern that we see. This is why it's going to be so easy for a covenant to peace to happen. And then the second face, fake sign is going to be through a man of lawlessness. This peace doesn't just happen by accident. There's going to be a driving person who is going to, to take charge and, and be that man of lawlessness. We, we see that in verse 3. The man of lawlessness will be revealed. And, and, and I love the, the following phrase, the son of destruction. It's like, well, destruction is, is 
his name. He's the son. I mean, you know, think about your dad's name, right? And he's like, well, he's, my father's the father of peace. My father is the father of generosity. My father's the father of destruction. You know, he's also known as Captain Chaos, right? And so this man of lawlessness is a son of destruction. We talked about this last week. What, what does lawlessness look like now? I mean, as, as a terrible example, I mean, it, this should, it's horrifying that our great example is our government. Our great example is our president. Our president through executive orders breaks law, through state emergencies breaks law, through breaks free speech laws, breaks border enforcement laws, uses the Department of Justice, the FBI, to break even more laws, to go against political opponent, opponents. We see the, the lack of law being played out every single day now. We saw that right here in Seattle. CHOP and CHAZ, the autonomous zone. What, what is that? It is we will not follow the law. We saw it in Portland over 160 days taking over the local government, not following the law. And who promotes this and who leads this charge? The very politicians who are supposed to be the ones who are the caretakers of constitution and law. They're men and women of lawlessness. And, and then we have our enforcers, the, the, then the police and the FBI who then are enforcing lawlessness. It, it is a sad state of affairs, but from a biblical perspective, this is the path that we're on. And there will be a man of lawlessness who will come along and through what? Executive order? It's a good idea, so we'll do it. Right? We'll mandate things. This is how it's going to come. And we can see the writing on the wall. We can see again that, that there's going to be a, a leader and, and, and a great implication of this, this leader. This man of lawlessness is a peacemaker. Think about this. The man who doesn't believe, break, and follows laws is a leader through peace. You know, we've never heard of anything like this. Um, you know, Hitler didn't do it that way. Castro didn't do it that way. Uh, Mao didn't do it that way. Putin didn't do it. Wait a minute. Actually, they all do it that way. They all come in promising unity. They all come in promising peace. Not one of these leaders came in promising authoritarian, totalitarian dictatorship. Not one of them. They all come in breaking laws to bring about peace. It's, it's a pattern that we see all over the world today. Uh, you'll hear it today in our country. It's, you'll, you'll hear it like this. You know, we've got these crazy uh, conservative constitutionalists. You know what that is, right? That those are the lawmakers, the politicians who actually believe in the Constitution and follow it. They're called constitutional conservatives, and, and they're crazy. And so what you need to be is a progressive. Not a soothing word, and we've talked about that word progressive, right? Progressive means 
I don't like this law. Let's progress through it. How do we do that? Well, let's just disobey it. Let's change it. If we can't change it in time, well, then we'll just break it. And this is what we're seeing that basically to a progressive mindset, the law is no good. And if we don't like it, we just break it. So this man of lawlessness is kind of their, their prince of lawlessness. The lawless man is supposed to be the man of peace, but he's really just a fraud and a fake. He's just a fake. The third sign of peace that we see is through this apostasy, through this great revolt, this departure from traditional Christianity. The apostasy will come first and the man of lawlessness is revealed through the apostasy. See, nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to really recognize this man of lawlessness, this son of destruction. They're going to love him with thunderous applause. Follow, follow, follow. And so that's why we're instructed. Don't let anybody deceive you. Look, first, 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 there's going to be this, this thing called the, the apostasy. And, and we've been talking about Matthew 24, and we just read Daniel 9. And so th this is why this issue becomes so complex, because it's not just about looking at 2 Thessalonians. You really have to have the totality of Scripture. This is why it's taken us eight weeks to kind of build up to, to get to this point. But the great revolt, the great departure is from Christian laws. Our, our constitution is based on Judeo-Christian beliefs, laws. That's what they're breaking free from. That's what the world is breaking free from. Christianity, Europe, is, they, they've been breaking free from Christianity for centuries now. Uh, now it's coming to America. And so the, the big move then is, and this is the, the most interesting of our implications, but it's this, verse 4. Uh, the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself, every so-called God or object of worship. We read that in Daniel. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now, here's the thing. Currently, right now, there, there is no temple of God. There's no temple of God. There, there's no Old Testament temple where there's animal sacrifices being made on behalf of atonement for sin in the nation of Israel. And so one of the great implications here is that, well, there needs to be a temple in order for the man of lawlessness, lawlessness to commit the great apostasy. And so that's one of the things that as a believer we're kind of looking out for is this temple sacrifice. Now, does the temple have to be made of gold? Does the temple have to be, you know, 10 stories tall? Does the temple have to be huge and magnificent? The answer, no. The temple in the Old Testament was a tent. And so all that's required, I mean, the, the altars in the Old Testament were big stones, right? So all that's required really for a temple sacrifice would be a, a, a rock and a tent. 
So that could happen in a day. So don't think that we have to wait for years of construction for a grand temple to be built. But seems to imply that there, there's going to be a sacrificial system put back in place from Israel. Again, why is it from Israel? Because Jesus Christ already came. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the blood atonement for our sin. So Christians should have no need or desire for a temple sacrifice. It's got to be a, a Jewish thing. And so the apostasy is then, this is a final push for Satan. It's a final push. A final push for what? Well, it's revealed very, very clearly to display himself as God. That's always been Satan's gold. I will be like you. That's always been Satan's goal. So the fifth false sign that we say, the fake sign of peace, is this false exaltation. False ex exaltation. So he takes the seat displaying himself, exalting himself above all. Do you know what exaltation is? Exaltation is that joyful, you know, it, it, this is a moment of, of grand just exaltation of himself. It's a glorious proclamation of victory. So he thinks. That's why it's a fake sign. That's why it's a fake sign of peace. So he thinks he's not only having victory, and this is where the big switch comes in, because yes, he's having victory over the Christian God. He's having victory over the Jewish God. And the world's cheering. Great, finally we get rid of those two jokers. But the quick shift is, and all of you too. And he's exalting himself. It's like, I did it. I rule the whole thing now. You're all part of it. You're all under my thumb. Not just them. You too. And so this is his time to kind of take names. And, you know, we have the cute stickers, you know, let's all coexist. Um, one of the worst terms that we've seen in, in, in Christianity is this term interdenominational. This is one of the most dangerous terms that we see. Why? Well, we have the term non-denominational, right? Well, we're non-denominational. We got the, the Baptists, right? The Methodists. We've got the Episcopalians. We have the, you know, okay, here are all the denominations. And none of the denominations crisscross with each other. You know, so when they have a meeting, it's non-denominational. You can only be Baptist, right? Okay. Well, then we have, well, no, we believe in interdenominational. We're we're all one big melting pot, one big soup. Okay, we'll take your Lutheran views. We'll take your views. We'll take your one of your 37 different types of Methodist views. And we'll just throw it all in a bit. We're all just Christian. We're in, right? Can't we just be Christian? Doesn't that sound good? The problem is when you get to interdenominational, well, then you get into, well, let's coexist with other guys too that aren't, well, they're, I mean, the Jehovah's Witness have Jesus in their tie. The Muslims talk about Jesus. The, the, the uh, Mormons talk about Jesus. So let's just include anybody who has the name of Jesus. 
and let's coexist. Well, what does that really mean? That's polytheism. That's polytheism. That's all religions. And so this is the path and the steps that lead to that. But this false, this man of lawlessness is going to come in and exalt himself above all of this. And, and the uh, ultimate form is through this covenant of peace and unification. It's a bait and switch, just like all the typical authoritarian governments who've been doing this for years and years. Well, the final sign of peace is through the sitting on the throne itself. Um, the, the audacity of this move, the sheer, uh, see, we don't, we don't, we can't properly appreciate what's taking place here. Being New Testament Christians, being, you know, 21st century Christians. Remember the temple of God, the Holy of Holies. Okay. If this were the temple of God and, and you came into the temple for, for the day of atonement, you make sacrifice for your sin right here. And the high priest would make sacrifice. Uh, and, and, and he would be the mediator between you and God, who, who's the, the, the Ark of the Covenant sits behind here, inside the Holy of Holies, with the Spirit of God himself resting above the Holy of Holies. You're not allowed in there. Right? This is a sacred holy place. The high priest is allowed in there once a year. And if he goes in there improperly, he will die. And so he goes in there with a rope because the other priests aren't even going to go in there to pull out his dead corpse. Okay, this is how serious that place is. This is God's resting place, this is his temple. That's why it becomes so powerful when we're in the New Testament. God says, you know what? By the way, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. I mean, just think of that transition from Holy of Holies to within you, the Holy Spirit now resides. And so that then being so sacred that not even priests are allowed to go in there. And when they pick it up and they carry it and they move the tent, right? They move the tent nobody's allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Even if the Ark is going to fall down and you, you know, you think, you know, I could see Jim doing this. The Ark's going to fall and he runs over there, jumps over three people to make sure the Ark doesn't fall. Right. But you know what? Jim's not allowed to touch it. And like Uzziah, he dies because God gave a rule and instruction. You don't disobey God and that's holy and you don't touch the, the Ark of the Covenant where God rests over it. Imagine then sitting yourself in the seat itself. I'm God. I rest here. I'm in charge now. That's what this man of lawlessness is going to do. And it's all done under this fake umbrella of, but I bring peace, but I've, unified us all. We all now coexist together, right? It's all a sham and a lie. This is the ultimate apostasy. This is the abomination, the abomination of desolation. This is it. This is it. 
It's the, it's the, the final implication is that this guy is proclaiming himself to be God. All the cards are now on the table. There's no, there's, there's no like, well, you know, half. No, he is proclaiming himself to be God. And so, 2 Thessalonians continues, verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And, and you know what restrains him now. So, so what is stopping this from happening right now? You know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness, it's already at work. The, the wheels of motion are already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Only God himself can, can, can allow this to happen, can take away the restraints, verse 8, and then the lawlessness, the lawless one, then he will be revealed, whom the Lord ultimately... The Lord will slay him with the breath of his mouth. Just like the Lord created the earth with his breath, he will slay this one. So who's greater? Greater is he who's in me than he who is in the world, right? God is greater. God's in charge. God's in control. God's sovereign. But this is what needs to take place. This is what's going to take place and bring an end and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So what we see here is, okay, just remember, we went through Matthew, birth pangs, abomination, desolation, tribulation, then the coming of Jesus, right? The second coming of Jesus. Well, the only thing that ends this whole deal is by the appearance of his, that's Jesus, his coming. Verse 9, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all the power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Now, these are some of the scariest verses that we'll see in Scripture. One, there is a Satan. There is a devil. There is an opposition. And he is powerful. And he has signs, miraculous signs, miraculous deeds. And he will do false wonders. Make no mistake. Look at the words here, false, deception, wickedness, right? But they're powerful and they, they have influence and, and, and they work. And so what's going to happen is this. God is going to say, look, if you want to rebel against me, if you want to not listen to me and listen to him and, and listen to the deluding spirit and listen to the deception of wickedness, then I will turn you over to that. In fact, I will give you what you want. You want that? You got it. In fact, I will 
send a diluting influence so that they may believe what is false. The, the restraint is taken off of Satan. The restraints are taken off completely. You, you are free to follow the deceptive spirit. I will let you. What a scary thing for God to give you what you want. Isn't that what we shamefully ask for? We, we want this. God wants this. No, no, I want it this way. No, God, God wants it that way. No, 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 give it to me like this. No, you need to wait and do it like our whole lives is this fight in this battle of what I want versus what God has planned for us and has laid out clearly in Scripture. And so the scary part is when God says, okay, I release you. I release you. You can have it. Don't ask for what you want. Ask for what God wants. That's why the pattern of prayer is for God's will. And so, judgment comes to those who take pleasure in wickedness, to those who, who turn from Christ himself. Verse 13, but, 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 we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Look, God has chosen to save us. We, we just sang about this last night. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He was on a mission. He was on a manhunt to seek and save, not to destroy, but to save. How does Jesus save? By dying for us on the Christ cross to pay the price for our sin. So that's what God chose us from the beginning for salvation through sanctification. We're not perfect. We're weren't perfect before. We're not perfect now. It's a sanctification process led by the Holy Spirit, by our faith in the truth. And it was for this that he called you through our gospel that you may gain in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> what's our final response? What's our final response? We're, we're looking at the, the ramifications of you know, Israel and the Palestinians. We're looking at how this affects us as believers in the back of our minds. We're all thinking the same thing. I don't want to be in the tribulation. I don't want to go through that. How do I get out? Where's the escape patch, right? But, but God, what's your plan? What's the plan? And so that very question in Matthew 24 was asked to Jesus, what does it look like in the end? And Jesus plainly and clearly and lays it out right there. Look, there's going to be birth pangs. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be, there, there, there's going to be famines. And then there's going to be this abomination. There's going to be this apostasy where this, this man of lawlessness is going to sit on the throne of God and proclaim himself to be God. And then all hell is going to break loose because Satan incarnate, Satan himself, Satan, the Antichrist, all the Antichrist, all the false prophets, all the false teaching are going to be unleashed throughout this tribulation. So, brethren, what do we do? We stand firm. We stand firm. Reminds me of, of, of uh, 
you know, putting on our spiritual armor, right? Philippians. We stand firm in Christ. We hold on to the traditions which we were taught, whether by word, by mouth, or by letter. See, we don't like that anymore, do we? We don't like tradition. Uh, tradition's kind of tied into law. And we don't like law. We don't like tradition. It reminds me of the royals, right? The royals, oh, they're so stuffy. You know, the king and the queen, and they've got protocols, and you're supposed to bow and wear certain clothes and say, oh, we don't need any of that. So you wipe away all the tradition, but it's the old baby with the bathwater, right? What goes out with all the tradition, all that stuff, well, well, there's a lot of law and structure and, and belief and, and, and good things that are in there that are tied in with not only the written, we just sang about this last night. All the songs we sang were about Jesus, about the Christ, about Emmanuel, God with us. And so tied into that tradition, hold on to it. Don't just blow it off. Well, do we really have to go to church on Sunday? Why can't we go on Saturday? Okay, go on Saturday. What well, do we really have to go on Saturday? Why can't we, you know, just uh, watch it on TV? Okay, watch it on TV. What well, do I really have to watch it on TV? I mean, can I just watch like a, a 30 second clip on a reel on my phone and call it good? No. A at some point, these things have to matter. So, brethren, stand firm, hold to the traditions which you were taught whether by word, by mouth, by letter from us, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So, goes right back to the beginning. We should be comforted and strengthened by all of this. Going right back to verse 2, and not be quickly shaken and maintain our composure, maintain our composure. Look, we, we don't know what these you know, world events are going to take place. I remember growing up as a kid where Iran was our mortal enemy and Iraq was our friend. And then Iraq was our mortal enemy. And it's like these things change on, on, on a dime. And, and so, okay, they're interesting. But, but what Christ has told us to be on the alert for more so is this man of lawlessness, this apostasy, which is more along the lines of, you're probably not even going to notice that, so look for the peaceful one, the fake prince of peace, the fake prince of peace. And stand firm. Know this, 2 Peter 2.9, you want a, a good memory verse? 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to protect the godly. We have nothing to fear. God knows how to protect us. God knows how to protect you if, if you're in the Roman Colosseum and lions are attacking you. God knows how to protect you if you're thrown into a fiery pit. He is able. Okay, God knows how to protect you if you're, you're a little baby and you're in Egypt and they have an edict that says kill all the babies. God knows how to protect. Okay, we have nothing to fear when it comes to end times. The Lord knows how to protect every hair on our body, Luke 21, 9. And the Lord knows how to keep us from an hour of testing if he so desires, Revelation 3, 10. Let's pray. Lord, 
Thank you so much for your word. There's so much here. But you've given it to us. You've laid it all out for us that we have nothing to fear because we have you. We have nothing to fear because you will win. You already have won and that we're fighting a defeated foe. But Lord, we need to be strong. We need to stand firm in your word and we need to follow and obey. Lord, help us to be strong in the word. Help us to not just fall for the latest, greatest trend. Help us to not just fall for a a new progressive way to Christianity. No, we want to hold firm to tradition. We want to hold firm to what brothers and sisters have done before us. Lord, there's wisdom in that. And so help us to glean from that. Help us to, to, to learn. But most importantly, help us cling to your scriptures, your word, the word of God above everything else. We give thanks in Jesus name. Amen.